My name is Jackson Beck. And tonight on the Words at War program, I will play the part of Fred Herman, able seaman, who wrote a book called Dynamite Cargo. Most of what you will hear was written as notes aboard the British cruiser Scylla in the Arctic Ocean. Chaps below lie prone for a bit, he says. Sounding as if he was sorry to humiliate us. Well, we chaps below are lying prone and feeling no humiliation. Scotty, the old man, the Cape Verde Negroes, the salesmen, the Russian women, and the rest. All of us crouched down like Muslims at prayer. And I'll bet there's a lot of prayers being said, too. People certainly pray when they're as helpless as we are now. And let me tell you, when you're one of 300 shipwrecked sailors huddled in the crew's mess room of a British cruiser. And that cruiser's being attacked by wave after wave of Nazi torpedo bombers. You feel mighty helpless. Especially when some cheerful young twerp up on the bridge is treating you to a play-by-play description of the attack over the loudspeaker. I wonder what'll happen if we're hit. How'll we ever get out of this place? The others are wondering, too. They're all panicky. The only one who doesn't seem scared is the Russian girl. They've passed. I think I ought to caution you. Here comes another chap heading in for us now. Seems rather determined. Steady now, all of you. Hold hard. It was more of a sensation than a sound. The deck under us seemed to reel and lift. The lights went out. Someone screamed a vile, ugly curse. Little close for comfort, that one. But a miss is as good as a mile, they say. This British nonchalance. Gosh. I wish she could speak English. I could speak Russian. You chaps all right? Don't pay any special attention if the lights go out. Electricians will rig up something. Now steady once again, because here comes another fellow. But no, no, our anti-aircraft got that one. I think you might try to relax now, chaps. Probably won't have another attack for three or four minutes. My hands are clammy. I'm scared. At least I was, until just now when I looked in the direction where that Russian girl is. Now I'm not scared anymore. She's beautiful. Yeah, and something more. I wish I could talk to her. Ask her to read these notes I'm making. Tell the story of how I, Fred Herman, happened to be huddled here aboard a British cruiser, having the bejeepers bombed out of me and looking at a girl I can't see in the dark. Yeah. I think she might be interested in hearing it. She looks like the sympathetic sort. Words at War, the series that brings you radio versions of the leading war books, presents tonight a dramatization of Dynamite Cargo by merchant marineman Fred Herman. A story not of little heroic tin gods, but of ordinary human men who daily risk their lives, and sometimes lose them, along the submarine alley of the Murmansk Run. Words at War is presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with the Council on Books in Wartime. (laughs) 
Yes, I can talk straight now. But I couldn't that night in the Jersey City bar. I could sing, though. Not good, but loud. You're the flower of my Herman! Freddie Herman! <laughs> Scotty! Well, I'll be a... How are you, Scotty? Oh, glad to see you. What are you doing, Freddie, my lad? Celebrate. That's exactly it, Scotty. I've been on the beach for a week. Was on a shore run for a year. So today, you know what I do? No, man, what did you do? And what's her name? <laughs> oh, no, 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 nothing like that, Scotty. Me, I went down to the Navy recruiting station. I walk in and say, okay, Uncle Sam, give a look. You want me? And did they look? What do you mean? They said, sure thing, son, we can use a guy like you. Sign here. But I tell them I want 24 hours to think it over. That's why I'm celebrating, Scotty. I thunk it over, and I'm going in. This is a time when all good men must come to the aid of their country. Aye, man, it is. It's noble yard. Why leave him by a wee snort on it? Well, hey there, barkeep. Barkeep, fill them up. That's the stuff. Ah, golly, it's good to see you, Scotty. Why, I haven't seen you since... When was the last time we sailed together? Well, let me see. Buenos Aires in 1939 or 40, I think. Ah, here we are. Ah, here's to you, Scotty, old pal. And to me, and the United States Navy. Right. Hey, Scotty, I know what. Let's you and me go down together tomorrow and join up. What do you say? Uh, me? Ah, oh, Freddie, man, I couldn't do that. I've already signed on for a voyage to the beautiful port of Murmansk in Russia. Russia? You mean you're on one of them Liberty ships running munitions to Russia? That's right. Oh, for God's sakes, what you want to do that for? That's awful, awful. Aye, but the money's good. It is? Aye. You get $100 a month base pay as an AB, plus $100 war bonus. One hundred and twenty-five more if your ship touches the British Isles. Another sixty dollars if she touches Iceland. Another one hundred and twenty-five dollars for Russia. And then the Russian government adds another hundred dollars to that when you arrive there. You know, Scotty, I must be very drunk. Why do you say that? Because I can't figure straight. Adding up those figures of yours, it came to six hundred and ten dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what it is, Freddy. $610, plus 15% of your base pay as penalty money if your ship carries more than 50 tons of explosives. Scotty. Scotty, you ought to feel ashamed of yourself. Me, man? Why? Because you've just talked the United States Navy out of a darn good sailor. <laughs> And so, with Scotty, I sailed aboard the SS Jason, a new 10,000-tonner loaded to the decks with dynamite and with tanks and trucks tied down on the decks themselves. A very interesting cargo, as any Nazi submarine commander will tell you. We had an interesting crew, too. There was Scotty and the old man who'd come out of retirement on a Texas ranch to skipper a Liberty ship along Submarine Alley. There was Ensign Hawley of the Naval Armed Guard, a devout divinity student with a naval commission. There was Swanson, the soda jerk, who was one of Hawley's crew. There was the salesman, the professional agitator, who was again everything. And there was little Willie, who came from Texas and had a terrific yen for a song called Avalon. 
Yeah, we had some interesting times together, the bunch of us. There was that foggy night between here and England when we couldn't see a thing. Those of us off watch hadn't slept a wink. Too jittery. We felt sure we'd lost our convoy. I was trying to read Sandberg's Life of Lincoln. I had to sit and suffer while Willie's record moaned about Avalon. Say, fellas, do you mind if I play it again? Oh, Willie, for crying out loud, not again. Oh, just once more. It's my favorite record, you know. Oh, no kidding. Ah, Willie, my lad, I've lost count the new, but for the first few days I kept track. And you'd played that blooming thing no less than 63 times. <laughs> you mean 163, Scotty. Oh, go on. You guys are kidding me. I'll play it again. It'll keep your mind off things, huh? Playing that blasted thing again. Huh? Oh. I'll lay off the kid, salesman. Mind your own business, Herman. I'm fed up with that record and you and everything aboard this lousy What's ship. What's eating you, the new salesman? What are you trying to do, be funny? I just come back from taking a look. The fog's lifting, there ain't a sign of a ship. The old man's lost the convoy. Oh, don't overwork your upper plate. Dawn will soon be here and we'll find the convoy again. Yeah. Ah, the old man don't know a thing about navigation, I tell you, and the Nazi subs will be around any minute. It's the old man's fault. Why didn't the stupid old fool stand his Texas ranch? Now, nah, he hears about the easy money and he comes a-running. Why are you at sea, salesman? Because it's my patriotic duty, see? My, my, my. Isn't the salesman idealistic, though? He don't even want the dough. <laughs> ah, lay off the wise stuff you think and go back to your capitalist reading. Capitalist reading? Why, you dope. This is Sandberg's life of Lincoln. So what? Lincoln started the Civil War, didn't he? Oh, I'll tip you off, Herman. What was the Civil War fought for anyway, do you know? It was to make more dough for Rockefeller and Morgan. <laughs> Why, you lug. Those guys had just about given up wearing three-cornered pants when the Civil War was fought. Oh, man. You're probably in their pay, you think. I'm wise to you. And I'm wise to you, you flat-mugged sourpuss. You're just a boss fighter, a cop fighter, a captain and mates fighter, a mess boy fighter. You're just scum. It's guys like you who take control of honest unions, of honest men, and make trouble for them. Why, you... Don't you hit me, Herman. Don't worry, yellow belly. Only a size that's saving you. Now get out of here. You you know what I think? I think the old man probably feels worse about getting lost from the convoy than we do. No skipper likes to lose a convoy. I agree with you there. You mind your own business, punk. We'll see how smart you are tomorrow morning when the subs show up. Stupid bunch of... <laughs> Well, the salesman was wrong about the subs catching us. Little Willie was right about how sensitive the old man was. Next morning, we were plowing along, feeling awful lonesome with the rest of the convoy, heavens knew where. Then the flagship hove into view, and the British commander aboard her broke out a string of signal flags. What does it say, Mr. Hawley? They direct us to consult the Bible, sir. St. Luke, chapter 15, verse 6. Hmm. You have your Bible handy, Mr. Hawley? Oh, yes, sir. I always carry this pocket edition, Captain. Chapter 15, verse 6, says, here it is. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. The old man didn't say a word. He didn't need to. 
We could see the bits of broken pride falling from his eyes. But he didn't get us lost again. And two weeks later, we made our landfall in the British Isles. We didn't stay around England long. A few days later, we were on our way to Russia. Okay, Nick, I'll take over. He ain't a minute too soon, brother. I'm frozen. Passing on an order to you. The old man says for the guy in the bow, starboard side, to stay close to that gunman by young Swanson, a soda jank. You know, ready to move in just in case. I get it. Thinks the kid's a jerk instead of a soda jerk. Maybe. Can you handle a 20-millimeter gun? What do you think I've been doing when Hawley's been practicing up his gang? Keeping my eyes shut? Well, you better keep them open for the next four hours, brother. We'll be getting ours any day now. So long. We'll be getting ours any day now. That's what we'd been saying ever since leaving England, joining what was undoubtedly the biggest convoy in history. We'll be getting ours any day now. Standing watch gives you time to think. Time to think of many things. I'd long since learned why wages are high on the Russian run. The deadly slow pace of the convoy, necessarily held down to the speed of the slowest ship in the group. The constant danger of collision with so many ships traveling so close together through fog and through night. The tedious, never-ending scanning of the water for a submarine wake. The business of never removing your clothes and sleeping with one eye shut and the other on your life preserver. The nerve-wracking waiting, waiting, waiting for the crash of the torpedo you feel sure will come at some second of some minute of some hour of some day or night. Yes, the wages are high along Submarine Alley, but... They heard it on the bridge, too. The crew came on the double, everyone to battle stations. The Navy armed guard manned the ships, with Ensign Hawley making the rounds, trying to stuff his Bible into his pocket. Maybe the danger sharpened my vision, I don't know. But I can see through the night much clearer than before. The convoy of merchant ships stretched out in six or seven long columns with a screen of destroyers and corvettes on the parade's flanks. The flagship Scylla, a British cruiser, in the center of the formation. The small aircraft carrier in the rear, where she'd have room to maneuver. Now the destroyers and corvettes were breaking alignment, fanning out, closing in. We were all zigzagging, so you'd never have the same ship off your beam for long. Oh, what is it, Freddy, lad? An air attack? Darn if I know, Scotty. What was the explosion? I don't know. Hey, look! Then we all saw the ship belching flames and smoke from her hull. She was in the same column as us, a big Russian. Ensign Hawley came with official news. She's been torpedoed. We're being attacked by U-boats. Look at those poor souls aboard her, jumping into the water. Some of them are women, too. I saw them when we burst in the British Isles. Will the old man put about to pick them up, Ensign? No, he won't. A merchantman in the convoy can't stop her, man. Makes too good a target. Rescue work, if any, will be done by the warships. The next to get it was an American Liberty ship. And after her, a Britisher. But we left their crews in the water and went plowing away from there for dear life. We were sitting down below. It was towards morning some days later. Every night there'd been repeated submarine attacks. We knew our turn was soon coming, for in a matter of hours we'd be in range of German land-based planes. So we sat there, smoking or drinking cold coffee. We weren't talking. We were jittery, on edge. Little Willie started the phonograph, his favorite song. No one paid any attention at first. Then suddenly the salesman jumped up. Didn't I tell you never to play that blasted thing again, you punk? I'll show you. You punk! You punk! You punk! You punk! You punk! You stupid little punk! It was over as quick as that. 
Willie looked at the pieces of Avalon on the deck, gave his trousers a hitch, then went out. I don't know why one of us didn't brain the salesman. I followed the kid. I found him looking at something which he tried to hide when he saw me coming. Then he showed it to me. What do you think of her, Fred? Mm, Nice-looking babe. He grinned and turned pink. She was a nice-looking babe. She was probably about 19, and she'd got herself dressed like a turkey for the roasting to have the picture taken. She wasn't what you'd call a babe, though. She had nice eyes, and her expression made me feel kind of homesick. I met her in Texas. Look, here's a bunch of letters she's written me. Well, that's nice, Willie. You should have them tied up in blue ribbon. Oh, gosh, I don't think that'd be right, would it? <laughs> anyway, I ain't got no ribbon, so this court'll have to do. Does she know you're on your way to Russia? No, I didn't tell her that. But I figure when I get back, I'll take a train down to Texas and see her. I guess she'll be surprised at all the dough I've made. Maybe we'll get married. What's her name, kid? Rosalind. Rosalind. Uh-huh. Say, uh... I'm awful sorry about the record, Willie. Yeah. Well, that's all right. It was my favorite, though, on account of her. You see, Rosalind works in Galveston in a coffee pot called the Avalon. They came that morning. Heiko 111s and Yunkers 88s. They did what our old-timers knew they'd do, high-level bombing first. I heard Anson Hawley explain the Nazis' idea to young Swanson. They always start with that high-level bombing, trying to split us up. Their hope to scare some of the cargo ships out of the convoy formation and then run them down later. You all right, Swanson? Huh? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Good boy. Trust in God and do your job. They'll try dive bombing soon. Hawley was right. They broke out of the overcast, half a hundred Heinkels fanning out across the convoy, but only two of them interested us. One following the other, they came plummeting down out of their dives, heading straight for the Jason. Swanson opened up with his 20 millimeter. I watched him. His childlike face had the look of a zombie in a Boris Karloff movie. He was too young for the part. That's what made it horrible. The second plane came screaming down, and Swanson sent a stream of fire into its belly, chewing it apart. It flopped and crashed into the sea. But Swanson kept on firing, his gun pointed at the empty sky. Cut it, Swanson! Cut Hawley it! came running. Cut it! Cut it! You're wasting ammunition! But Swanson paid no attention. His hands were frozen to the gun's action, and he hung there, bucking up and down with the gun's recoil. The preacher grabbed his hands and yanked them loose. Unstrap him, Herman. He's gone off his head. Yes, sir. Leave me alone! Leave me at them! I got one of them! Did you see? <laughs> I got one of them! <laughs> Leave me alone! The kid was fighting crazy, but we dragged him loose, and I slipped into his harness while the ensign got him out of the turret. Yes, you've heard the expression, hell on earth. But, brother, you don't know what it means. You can't know till you've been on the Murmansk run. One after another, the ships began to go. You could guess their cargoes by the sound of the explosions and the smoke that belched up. I saw fragments of ships rise high into the sky. And men, too. Or things that had once been men. The sea was an inferno of blazing oil. Minesweepers and corvettes tore around looking for survivors. I don't think there were many. Another Heinkel came tearing in at the Jason. It was so close I could see the pilot's grinning face. 
I aimed that gun right for his nose and let him have it. I'm sure I saw the blood begin to spout, but he kept right on grinning as he swooped over us and crashed into the sea. Then I did what Swanson had done. I kept on firing after him. That'll do, Herman. He's down. Down? Down? Out of the way, Hawley. I'll send that guy to kingdom come. He's a dirty, murdering Nazi. Stop it. Stop it. Don't waste ammunition. Besides, it's not ours to judge and dispose. God disposes. Listen, preacher. You expect to get back from this trip alive? That will be as God wills it. Well, brother, you'd better pray that God wills for me to get this guy coming in at us. Get away from me, Holly. You make me nervous. And that's when we got it. The Jason's engines were stopped. Her lighting and communication system knocked out. Water was pouring in from the wound in her side. And we were quite alone. Throughout the night, the black gang labored to fix the engines. No soap. As the first streaks of dawn came over the horizon, the old man announced simply, Well, she's a crippled duck. We can't move. Make ready to abandon ship. But before we abandon her, we'll set charges to blow her up. Nuts to that. Yep, it was the salesman. Nuts to that. Let's get off this tub as fast as we can. The Nazis will be back here any minute. You want to get us all killed? Prepare the charges, Mr. Ephraim. Aye, aye, sir. Hey, look, fellas! Over there! Willie had spotted a ship. When we saw she was a Britisher, we all went crazy. Hey, a British ship! say we hurried. The salesman was in such a heck of a hurry to get off that he fouled up the lines on the davits where our boat hung. We couldn't get it down. Take it easy, salesman. Take it easy now. Easy does it. Easy, yeah? Well, why in places don't you do it then? Sure, man, I'll do it. Now let me at it. Ah, uh, look at the old man. Peace away already. Come on back here, you old coward. Don't you know you're supposed to be the last one over the ship? Cut it, salesman. If it hadn't been for your clumsiness, we'd be away now with the other boats. Hey, look, fellas! A plane! A Heinkel! He's diving in on us! Come back, Willie! Duck behind the bridge! Duck, you idiot! Duck! Duck nothing! I'll get that lousy! Take that, you dirty rotten son of a lousy! Take that! I... The plane left, while the others tried to lower the boat. I went over to Willie. He was lying in a funny position at the base of the gun. Well, I... I got him, I think. Didn't I, Fred? Yeah, Willie. You got him, kid. You drove him off, anyway. Where were you hit, kid? In the belly, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Put your arms around me. I'll carry you. No, Fred. Thanks a lot. But I... I don't think so. Fred. Yeah? Do you think... you'll ever go to... Galveston? Uh, I don't know, kid. Guess maybe I will. Well... if you do... I... Thank you.
rivulet of blood was coming out of his mouth and starting to freeze. He laid his head back against the gun base and closed his eyes. I pulled Willie's rubber suit up around him as a sort of a shroud. While I was fumbling around, I came across Rosalind's picture and the bundle of her letters. I took them with me and I left the sinking ship. another bunch of the blighters. That makes 87 attacks in three days. Another few days and we'll be in Russia, so don't worry too much, chaps. Or I say you chaps down below. I've just been challenged to a game of draft by one of my senior officers. Checkers, the Americans call it. He's a bit of an expert at the game. Well, I'm afraid I'm rather a dub. What ho, I'll take him on. If you like, we'll have a steward bring in a large draft board with numbered men and squares. And as we make the moves up here, I'll call them off to you so that you may follow the game. How'd you like that? Might take your minds off things a bit, you know. Shall we do it? Very well. We'll be ready to begin in a few minutes. Meanwhile, cheerio. Well, if that don't take the cake, next time I hear the phrase British nonchalance, I'll know what it means. We've been aboard the cruiser Scylla for three days now. 300 of us shipwrecked sailors, torpedo victims. The Cape Verde Negroes, the salesmen, the old man, Ensign Hawley and his crew, the Russian women, Canadians, Gloucester fishermen, Britishers from Severn and from Clyde. And we put up with three days of the most hellish bombing you can imagine. We're scared stiff, all of us. All of us except the beautiful Russian girl lying next to me. But we can't do a thing about it except lie here and take it. Yeah, we'll take it all right. And I know that if we get out of it all right, We'll be back to take it again. And not just for the money, either. I know that now. These 300 human beings are not clutching desperately at the edge of eternity for money. Watching them, you know there's something bigger, more important, egging them on. Something so terrific that it'll drive them out to sea again and again and again, German torpedoes or no. Maybe I'll finish these notes when I get to Russia. If I get to Russia. I hope I do, because, gee, she's beautiful. Yes, I'll offer her a cigarette. She took it and smiled. Well, at last the ice is broken. It's at least three days from here to Murmansk. Who can tell? Maybe my little story will have a happy ending after all. <laughs> ¶¶ 